Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Joni Stahl. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing really good. Like I always say, I'm always doing really good as long as I'm here. I mean, really, what better thing is there than to talk about the Lord? Don't you agree that you're always happy when you're talking about the Lord? Because I certainly am. Only good comes of it. So today, I want to let you know that as I was preparing a message today, I mean, I was in prayer over it. Like, I've, I've been busy this week. That's why I'm here on Friday. But I've been busy this week. And so as I started to get near today, I started to really say, what is it, Lord, on your heart that you want to stir my heart up with? And what is what is it that you want me to see? Or you know how you do that when you want to give a message or you want, want a word from the Lord. And so I began to prepare something. And and I I said, okay. And as I mean, I said, okay, because at the end of my preparing for it and looking up some scriptures, I said, I just feel like there's something else. And as you would know it, there was something else. And after I was all done taking notes and writing down my thoughts, the thought of the throne of God entered into my heart and into my mind. And all of a sudden my mind started to rush with all these different verses about his throne, about what his throne means and that it's him who sits on it and so much more. And I'm going to talk about that today. And uh, before I do, I just want to welcome everybody that is new to this channel. I just really want to warmly welcome you and pray that you will be blessed as you just sit back and grab a piece of the grassy knoll of the little green pasture of which I call this channel. I just don't like to call it a channel. You guys know that about me. And I want to thank everybody for their prayers and support of this ministry and just your friendship. I've made so many friends with you guys, so it's really a fellowship, isn't it? I mean, it started off with me alone talking to you, and then it turned out to me having all kinds of friends that I email during the week now, and it's become a wonderful thing. So anyways, uh, moving right along, I am going to pray, and then I'm going to get started. Okay, so let's bow our heads. <sighs> Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today and I come before you happy and with great gladness and joy. And I thank you this day. Father in heaven, I thank you for another day, another privilege to sow your word into the hearts and lives of everybody. I pray that even the hardened heart that will be listening to this message, that you they will not hear my voice, but they will hear your voice, that they will know the sound, that you will give them a sense of the sound of your voice, that, Lord, you will take me beyond words into your Holy Spirit. And I pray your Holy Spirit takes over. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lead me and direct me, Lord, as you said in John 7.38, you said to the Pharisees, I speak what I have seen my father do. You do. You speak what you have seen your father do. But it's what we see. It's what we see in Jesus and what we see because it says 
that uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, as Moses, who endured, who saw him, who is invisible. Amen. Let the glory of the Lord rest upon all the hearers. And I pray that you will be magnified in your glorious throne and upon this earth. Lord, I commit this entire message into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So as I said, I was thinking about the throne of God. And all of us are familiar with the throne. I mean, if anything, that's the first thing as... Even as unsafe people, we get that there are thrones. There's always thrones. Thrones have been since the dawn of time. There's always some potentate, some man or woman that sits on a special chair and, and they're over all the kingdom. And we read about all the kings, the good and the bad and the ugly in the Bible. And even in secular history, there are hideous kings and and I'm sure there's even kings that maybe we don't really know about that served during their reign that were good. But the point I'm making is, is I want to direct your attention to God's throne. And I think that, you know, obviously we're in this body. We're in this, you want to call it a th three-dimensional world. I seem to find it more one-dimensional than anything because we're so in this body that we just see horizontally. And so when we think of a throne, I mean, we look at something like the throne of England, right? And we see all the pomp and we see all the pageantry and we see their subjects bowing, the men bow, the women curtsy. We see the king of Spain, the queen, king, of, king and queen of Sweden. And, you know, we see Middle Eastern kings and they all get the same treatment, right? Everybody fears them. Um, they eat the finest food. They wear the most beautiful clothing. Um, they're given ultimate, I mean, they're almost really God status. Okay. And even that saying about the English royalty, God save the king, God save the queen. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I watched a couple of episodes of The Crown. And I'm not even a TV watcher, and I'm not really interested in any of that. But out of curiosity, I watched it, and I was watching them prepare Queen, the reigning queen right now. They were showing, like, how they were preparing her. That one day, she would sit as royalty. And then there was a day she was called into it. But the training began when she was a little child and she didn't even learn regular um, studies and disciplines that the ordinary children of England had, although she did learn, of course, some things, of course. But what I saw is that she was learning the laws and the judgments of the British royalty. And I was really fascinated by that because they put everything in her and the other one, her sister. And that's what they did to all the offspring of the Kings and Queens. And so there was a moment where it showed an episode where she grew up and she realized that she didn't know a lot of the disciplines of all the other people in that kingdom that, uh, that, you know, they, that knew like higher math, higher learning. And she realized there were a series of events that, 
all that higher learning wasn't going to work for her in her position as queen over a kingdom because she had to learn about royal laws and judgments. And she's, and, uh, and I'm not perfect in all this and don't try to correct me because it's not about me needing to know perfectly with that. I have no interest in it. I'm just picking a couple things to make a point. And so, you know, when you see her, you know, coronation and we see all this, it's, it's like, Ooh, ah, but I want to talk about God's throne because one day she's going to pass away and someone else will sit there and it just like, it's always gone. And it's a throne and every throne on earth will be thrown down and there will be only one throne that will remain. And I want to bridge between you and God's throne and your future. That seems like, yes, we do know that there's a throne and yes, Jesus sits on a throne and yes, um, we're called kings and priests. But if it's not a reality to you, then there's going to be a very subpar development of yourself. Because you see, there's a lot of work the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and in mine every day on so many levels. But he's preparing us for eternity. Because really, truly, this life is but a, a vapor. It goes by swifter than a weaver's shuttle. When we think of God's throne, and I wrote these things down, God's throne, let's look at a few things of what God's throne is, okay, of what he describes it. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. It's a throne of righteousness. His throne is established for justice and judgment. That's the foundation of his throne. It's a throne of his glory, the throne of his holiness. He's established his everlasting throne. He declares heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. It's the throne of the majesty in heaven. God's throne has a location on the sides of the north in heaven. There is the final great white throne of judgment, and he sits enthroned forever. And in the time coming, in the future, in the millennial reign, he will have an earthly throne in Mount Zion in Israel. And boy, don't we see that coming close when we look at what's happening in Israel today. That day is coming swiftly. Let's look at what Revelation 1, 4 through 6 says. Revelation, so many people are afraid to study it and everybody argues over it. And there's, I, I think there's been no greater wars than the, and the infighting of Christians literally destroying each other over interpretation. And some people have no business teaching it. And I even take a very, very cautious role in teaching revelation because nobody has it down a hundred percent. No one. And there's things that we people back a hundred years ago thought they knew, but there's so many things that hadn't happened yet. So they would definitely be corrected, but we should always have a conservative um, undertaking of revelation. But for the most part, there's a lot in there that we can read that we say it's victorious for the saint but it will be ignominious and deadly 
and destructive and devastating for those who appear in certain areas and at the very end of revelation in eternal damnation. So let's read it. It says, John, to the seven churches. And before I get started, this is a letter to the churches and it is meant to be read to all the churches. So if your church is not teaching you revelation, then I highly implore you to read the book of revelation and if you and get a good commentary and if you do not know what a good commentary is contact me and i will give you the information of who you need to listen to and who you should stay away from okay because people can take you off the richter scale into the absolute error world where you're believing in a total lie okay let's get moving John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the death, burial, or resurrection, and ascension of Christ seated upon the throne at the right hand of the Father, upholding all things by the word of his power, he has, it's, it's done. The, the, he said on the, on the cross, it is finished. So this is a reality to you when it says, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. Now, and it will be for his glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For it will be for his administration because he will always be the head. Though we, we are made kings and priests. Um, That's not realized right now, not for anybody in heaven, but it will be for a future time, which will begin in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about your life here today. Even if you don't live another day and it's just a day or you live until the rapture comes or the rapture tarries and it goes longer and you live, I, whatever the case may be, I feel that the Lord definitely really wants me to get your attention about really your character, really a nobility that you've been born into. Um, what is expected of you by God and what has been given, who has been given to you to assure that you are prepared unto glory to rule and reign with Christ during those days. Of course, Christ being the head. So let that sink in for a second. If you've already, and if means you have, because it says you have, been made kings and priests unto God and the Father. Well, what does that mean to you? How are you living? Because heirs to thrones are prepared. They understand the law. They understand the decrees. They understand all these things. And some of you may say, but Joni, I don't, I'm just, I'm just so little in the Lord. I don't have all that theological prowess and knowledge. That's not what God's asking for you. Because you see, before we even existed, 
back through the 2000 years, there were no computers. There was no Google. There was no Amazon. There were no churches. There was nothing. They just had their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe later on, things began to develop. And then there was, you know, little portions and parts during the 2000 years where there were people who were gathered together. Maybe not everybody did. But I can honestly say that after studying church history, that there were so many people, beautiful people that served the risen Lord, that understood that even though they didn't understand Revelation, excuse me, but in their simple hearts, they saw, look, we've been, he has made us kings and priests unto God and the Father. And that meant something to them. They didn't just go, oh, yeah, well, that's good. Well, I'm going to go milk the cow. But there were some that really took that to heart because everybody knows that one day they will die. If the Lord tarries and we're not raptured, we're going to go all the way of the earth. Our heart will stop beating one day and we'll breathe one last breath. But don't you want to know that even starting today, though maybe you've been lukewarm and lax through your life, that you've said, wait a minute, I never really realized that. But if I am truly to rule and reign with Jesus Christ, and I have already have the seal upon me to be a king and priest unto God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what manner of persons ought I to be? What is my character? What am I doing? Am I just passing away the time? Am I trying to, you know, we hear that term, well, let's waste some time. Well, sometimes you got to spend a little time if you're waiting for an appointment. But think of all the time all of us have wasted. And all of us have never taken that to heart. That he has, through it by his own blood, it says he washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the first preparation for you and I. And all of us is to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And to, and, and, and when that was, and then when that happened, we receive the spirit of adoption whereby which we cry out, Abba, Father, we become sons and daughters of the Most High. You know how it says, um, now therefore, brethren, it does not, um, it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall become like him, for we'll see him as he is. For everyone that has this hope in himself, in him, purifieth himself even as he's pure. And and there is a purifying of ourself. You know, the Jews had these mix, mikvah baths and they had the sea where they washed in and they had the uh, basins where they were always washing and washing, but that was external. They were washing their flesh. They were cleansing themselves. They were preparing themselves to enter into the, into the temple to appear before God. They had to have clean white linen. They were obeying the law, but the law came and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now we we serve God in the spirit. And so many of us are living lives with our garments stained with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, with with sins and and bad habits. and And we don't really think about it. But we serve a holy and an awesome God who sits upon the throne of his holiness. When he has made us kings and priests unto God, our father, 
You do not want to enter into holy places made without hands, eternal in the heavens. You don't want to be the guy that showed up there. Where's your wedding garments? Or you don't want to be the person where it says in John 10 verse 1, he that climbeth up some other way. Let's look at that. I'm going to read it perfectly the way um, John says it. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. That's personal. He's not saying, I'm saying to every one of you. He wa- He's speaking to your heart. He wants you to hear. That's why he's saying, verily, verily. When he says something twice, it's because he's emphasizing truly, truly. That's what verily means. Truly, truly. Two is the number of witness. Whenever the Holy Spirit repeats himself, He's telling you, and I'll tell you something, there's a danger of hearing it and not obeying it. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And there's all these people trying to get shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. When you are made king and priest, it takes a lifetime to learn conduct and character as you deny yourself daily and pick up your cross and follow after him. You know, I want to bring to your attention something I was thinking last night that's in Mark 10. I was thinking about when James and John came to Jesus Christ. Another book says his mother came to Jesus. But I took this from Mark 10. James and John they approached unto the Lord, and the Lord knew they wanted to ask him something. And he said, what do you, what, what do you want to ask? What do, what do you want? And they said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and one on thy left in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, you shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And I thought about how they, they didn't really see the future. They couldn't see. They just knew enough to say, well, they clearly knew by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus truly was the Christ, the Messiah. And they knew that in his wording, that he which came down from heaven is the same, which is in heaven and will ascend into heaven. So that prompted them, something prompted them to see enough to ask that question. A lot of people will say, well, that was pretty greedy. They're just thinking about themselves. I don't know what was going on there. I'm not going to be so quick to call James and John greedy. We know that they were the sons of thunder. We know that they wanted to call down fire like Elijah did to consume all the Samaritans. But Jesus told him, you don't know what manner of spirit you are for the son of man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So probably in that kind of real zealous James and John sons of thunder. And some of us have that personality. And it's not always such a bad thing. You know, it's like having a kid who's like 
out of control, wild and climbing all over the furniture and has too much energy, you put them in sports and you funnel the energy into the right way. So it's like same thing with Saul of Tarsus. He was the brainiac of his era. He was the most premier, like the most powerful attorney of his day. But God took that and funneled it a different way for his glory. So some people are supposed to be sons and daughters of thunder in a way, I guess. But for them to say, grant unto us that we may sit on the right hand, the left hand in glory. I mean, isn't that something really we want? Like, I know that me and myself, I want, I'm not going to, I don't want to be exalted. I'm just like, Lord, I just want to be with you. And maybe there's times in all of our lives we asked for a little bit more. But then Jesus comes and he asks us, but are you able do you know what you are asking you see because there is cost it's not just about well i'm going to become a king and priest one day and i'm going to ascend into heaven when you've spent your whole life doing whatever you want you're you're quick to anger you're quick to drop foul language you have filthy thoughts all the time you're holding people hostage in unforgiveness you're ill-tempered you're easily annoyed and impatient. You're just, you have a lot of things going on, but you don't do anything about it. You don't keep your body under, you don't bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I messed up. I have all these things wrong with me. Because let me tell you something, God will kill those things off in you because he has a plan and a purpose. And that is not just for this life so that you prosper and you enjoy your life but he's working out of you and destroying in you that body of flesh that's always at war with his spirit because his Holy Spirit is trying to create in you. First of all, you are a new creation, but now you're under a tutor. You're under an instructor. You're under the Holy Spirit who's been given to you as the teacher And so the more time you spend with Christ, and I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about the reality of knowing first and foremost that you have been washed with his own blood. You have been purchased with a price. Your life is not your own, though you have a free will. He'll let you go and do whatever you want to do. But I'll say this about you. If you're lukewarm right now and you're doing things that you shouldn't, you're already feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I have been under that conviction of the Holy Spirit doing things that I should not have been doing. But because I was sinning, I would, I was, the the longer I was in the sin, the heavier the conviction got until I was so miserable. I fled for the refuge and I took the robes of Christ. I threw myself down. I said, I can't stand being in the pigsty anymore. And he received me. So to sit, so he's saying to sit, okay, let me just go back a little. He says, you know, not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said to them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And we know that they died. We know James died by the sword in Acts chapter 12. You know, we just look at these men. They were just men. They were people just like me and you. And sometimes I think that we make the disciples, we almost kind of make them godlike, but they were as human as you and I. The only difference is 
that they saw Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they talked with him face to face. Let me tell you something. It says, blood, Jesus says, blessed are your eyes because you've seen, you know, blessed are you, you've seen me. But more blessed are they that have not seen me yet believe. He said, there's a greater blessing for us that haven't even seen the physical body, the corporal body of Christ, the glorified Jesus Christ. Yet we believe. And if you truly believe, it says, if a man believes in God, the same is known of him. And not just at church and not just in religious settings, but in the worst times of your life, people are watching what you're going to do. Let me keep going because I'm talking about character and conduct and how God will allow you to suffer great and terrible things. It says, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him because the greater you suffer and the more wars and even the protracted long things you go through with long-term illness, with long-term terrible marriages, with unruly children, with terrible long jobs you've had forever where you never get a promotion. Everybody treats you like dirt and long-term things. I think the greater the affliction, the greater suffering. No, not I think, I believe that the greater you understand the mercy of God, the greater you understand the justice and judgment of God, because you are taking in the the beatings, the whippings, even though I know he bore our sins upon the cross, that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he bore our shame. He bore all of that. Okay. Um, but I know this, the greater the suffering, the greater the deliverance, the greater the pain, the greater the joy, the greater the woundedness, the greater the healing. Remember, Jesus says, I kill and I make alive again. I wound that I may heal. And you know, when you come out of it, you're not the same person anymore. You're changed. You went through fire and your faith like gold being tried with fire came out purified. And you take nothing for granted. Let me continue. Matthew 19, 29. As I was saying, James and John were like, let us sit on either side of you. Later on, Jesus tells his disciples, all of them, not just James and John. In Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said unto them, Verily, truly, I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, not a lot of people continue with Christ when they began with him in the beginning. You know, look at what happened in the beginning. Jesus started out with 12 disciples. There was 70 known. We don't know who their names were, but there were 70 people, men, that were called 70 of his disciples. And then there was also many that followed him because it says and there were many of his disciples. And so we know that he was surrounded by people at one time. But little by little, everybody began to leave him. And even Judas betrayed him. And then Peter denied him. And then they all fled from him. And then he went to the cross alone. You know, when things start getting tough as a true believer, um, when the cares and the riches of the, this world choke out the seed in you, the word, and weeds start overgrowing, because you are the garden. You are the garden that he comes into. It says that in Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Come into my garden, 
my brother, you know, uh, I will come into your my garden, my sister and my spouse. And she says, let your south winds blow upon my spices. And she talks about the fragrance of all the flowers that were within her. But when it starts to overgrow, there's nothing for him. It's it's neglected. It's a neglect, and weeds take over, which is sin. And really, you know, people begin to just leave the Lord, and they'll give him lip service, and they'll speak of him with his lips, with their lips, but their hearts will be far from him, and they don't even know him at all. What kind of kings and priests are those? What kind of kings and priests? And if that's you, this is not for me to put a big smudge on your garment. It's for me to say, open your eyes. Open your eyes to see the invisible. Open your eyes to see him that is invisible. Open your eyes and Lord, open their understanding. The Lord, open up your understanding and your eyes to see that there is another world. That there's a reason and a purpose for everything that's happening to you in your life. And I want you to know I'm going to add two videos that I highly implore you to watch. They're 30 minutes each of a husband and a wife. And I watched them last night and this morning. And I was so lifted up and I thought, Lord Jesus, look at these people. You'll see, watch it yourself. But I thought to myself, what manner of persons do I want to be? Because if I truly know that you have purchased me by your blood, that you have made me to be a king and a priest for in, to, in your glory in the future, then I want to prepare for that time to obtain that in humbleness and in righteousness and in truth, that I've kept myself in the love of God, that you have kept yourself there. Let's keep going. The disciples told, were told they would sit on 12 thrones because they followed him all the way and that they would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel because really a throne is meant for judgment. And we're going to talk about us having judgment. So we see here Revelation 4.4. 4, it says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, or thrones. And upon the seats, thrones, I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had their heads, on their heads, crowns of gold. Who are these 24 elders? I believe they are comprised of the 12 disciples and the 12 sons of Jacob. And if that, that's not, I do believe that they are a representative group of the Old and New Testament, but they're given thrones. They're not equal with God, but they are thrones of judgment. And they will have something to say during the millennial reign. Um, Revelation 3.21. This is the seventh overcome. The granting of our seating. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So it's not that we're literally going to sit on his throne, but we're going to, you know, it says that we're already raised and seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places far above all power and principality, right? But we're be, we're prepared. Jesus is saying, if you overcome as I overcame, you're going to, I'm going to, I will grant you to sit with me in my throne as I sat with my father in his throne as I overcame. But Jesus overcame a really something, the hardest thing, you know, his life. And I think that as Christians, we 
we of course I'm, let, let, let me just slow down here of course we want to have a peaceful life of course we want to enjoy our children of course we want to be successful but we don't want poverty nor riches we don't want vanity and lies and as christians we have this understanding that we're always moving forward to something we're always gaining ground in time because we're we're, we're approaching eternity and there's seven overcomes and this particular one you could read the other six i'm not going to go over them right now but the other six like are will build up to this one but the final one is his throne and if you don't spend time in his throne in prayer if you're not gathering yourself together to his throne i'm not talking about going to church I'm talking about where you personally say, Lord, I don't want to climb up some other way. I'm no thief and a robber. Do what you have to do with me to prepare me for my future in heaven. Lead me in the way that you want me to and train me. You know, David said, not only show me thy will, oh God, he also says, teach me thy will. So let's ask God, teach us your will. Ask God to teach him your will for your life. Because honestly, everything you're going through is not for nothing. Like Elizabeth Elliot said, suffering is not for nothing. Jesus says, it says, this is a faithful saying. That if you be dead with him, you shall also live with him. If you suffer with him, you shall also reign with him. If you deny him, he will deny you. And if you have no faith, he's faithful still. Because he's not able to deny himself. But if you are really raised and already seated with Christ in heavenly places, he's the forerunner. He is our forerunner. Then where are you spending your time? You know, I I want you, I told you, you guys, I believe with all my heart, Jesus wants you to have an eternal view. He wants you to walk always with the, not just a mental ascension, a mental adaptation, a mental exercise of uh, an, a spiritual automaton. Oh, yes, there's an eternity we're going into. Oh, yes, there's a throne. Not like that. But ask him, Lord, reveal to me. Reveal to me more about your throne of glory. I'm not going to get into all his different reasons why he calls his throne a throne of glory, a throne of this, a throne of that. Right now, he's on the throne of grace. These 2,000 years are a throne of grace. During the millennial reign, it will be called the throne of righteousness. So, you know, that's just a couple of reasons. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. It says, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Notice how how the apostle presses the issue like, don't you know? Don't do you not know? Like there's things that the apostle Paul teaches us where we're, we're being it's revealed to us that God has expectation that we know these things, but most believers don't know this. And I've talked to believers before where they go, oh no, 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 I don't, I don't accept that. I don't think that's what it means. I'm not going to judge. It's like, no, you don't understand. You're not the judge. There's only one judge. 
and one lawgiver. The Lord Jesus Christ. I know, but I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Well, that's easy for them to just walk away because then you can just say, well, I, I don't need to be, I don't need to learn about having righteous judgment during this life and to exercise righteousness, to exercise myself unto godliness, to keep myself from idols. You know, and some people might be hear that and some people hear it with the wrong ears and they'll go, yeah, well, that just sounds legalistic. And that just sounds like, you know, you're in the law and it's like, hey, you can call. I say it like this. However you're hearing it, go ahead and hear it that way. I already know in my heart that's not what I mean. That's not what Jesus means. But you're traveling through time. You're just a traveler. That's all you are. You're just a sojourner as all your forefathers were. This isn't your home. You're on your way. Righteousness hath gone before us and has placed us in the way of his steps. You're on your way to heaven. And you know what? Where you're going, it's not that you're just going to enter in. And yes, we've heard life after death experiences of believers who've died and come back. And they say, oh, it's so beautiful there. You're not going to believe it. And there's mountains and there's streams and there's birds and there's people dressed in white. And there's more joy than you're indescribable. But there is far more than that because that is only the beginning. Let me continue. You see, the idea of saints judging the world refers to a future judgment that will occur in the millennium. So if Christians will one day judge the world, can Christians judge? He's saying, can they judge a small issue between two Christians on earth? So if Christians judge the world, cannot Christians judge between the smallest tribunals? The word if means it's true. There's no if as we're reading it in our English vernacular. It means since it's so. And so it is a fact that Christians will one day judge the world in in the millennial sense. So what we can surmise from this first Corinthians passage is that we as God's children will be given a higher position than angels. We're not only created in God's image, but redeemed by Christ. And angels are not created in God's image. And they're not redeemed by Christ. Also, God sends his angels to serve his saints. You know, those who are, you know, um, are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister unto them that shall become heirs of salvation? Hebrews 1.14. We can see Psalm 91.11. For God hath given his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, that they shall bear thee up with their hands, lest they strike thy foot against the stone. Additionally, the Greek word for judge is krino which also means to rule and to govern. So this strongly implies that we will have authority over the holy angels, for they have no sin that they need to be judged for in the sense of condemned. Most likely the meaning of this passage is that believers in heaven will take part in the judgment of the fallen angels and exercise some authority over the holy angels. Christ has been exalted above all the angels. You can read that in Ephesians 1, 20, 23. And it seems reasonable that those who are in him and made in his likeness will share in his authority, including his authority over the angels. We see in Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. 
Um, yeah, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So strictly speaking, the resurrection John sees here involves a specific group of Christians, which are the martyred uh, believers uh, during the period of the Great Tribulation. Um, but notice how what strikes me is this. I saw thrones. Imagine what that looks like. I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, a specific people group. Not us, them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Somehow they have something on them. There's something that they're seeing. They're decorated, especially. They're decorated, especially that everybody knows that they were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. He says he saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And notice they didn't worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So they had to keep themselves in those four things during that great tribulation. I mean, we look at them, we go, well, you know, too bad that they didn't trust the Lord earlier. It's like, look, they're a special representative group. They're not going to be lesser than us of now after the rapture. Because they're going to be priests of God. Those are the priests of God, the tr- the great tribulation saints. Those that die being martyred, martyred during the tribulation. It says in uh, chapter, I believe, 9, it says that they will thirst no more. They will hunger no more. Neither will the sun smite them anymore and so forth, right? It says, for they will serve God day and night in his temple and they will never go out. So God becomes their eternal comfort. What a gift. What a total gift. So let's keep going. You know, so, you know, we, you know, when I see Revelation 2, 26 and 27, which promises that overcomers will receive authority over the nations and will rule over them with a rod of iron. I, I, I cannot even imagine what that looks like. And it really has a lot to do with what we're doing today, what we're doing with our life daily. Because once you live in a day, it's marked in the annals of heaven in a book with your name on it. It's indelible. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father and I will give him the morning star. You know, see what I'm saying? There is something that you do, just like those tribulation saints who who I had said earlier, it said, um, They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast or his image and didn't receive his mark in their foreheads or their hands. So they had to work at that. They're not just like, well, we're just going to hide out here. What they're going to have to go through to dodge that and then finally die for it. Remember, they have to stand up against something to say, we're not doing it at the pains of death. And I don't think they're just going to take a bullet to the head. I don't think they're just going to, you know, I don't just think it's always going to be beheading. I think that they're going, there's going to be torture. But think about that. No wonder they're given thrones because they rejected 
Satan and his man of sin, his deified man, to say no to his face, no, because they've already been sealed in the blood of the Lamb. Right? It says, for they love not their lives unto the death. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word, right? By that word of their testimony. And you know something? When every everything is going smooth and everything is going easy, and maybe we might have a couple of bumps on the road, but what those people are going to have to go through, and then to stand up and say, I will not worship the beast. I think that the four, the three young men that got thrown in the fire, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that when they were thrown into a fire heated seven times hotter, that to me was a type and shadow of Satan going, well, if you don't, you hear the sound of that worship music, don't forget Satan was a worshiping cherub whose wings that covereth pipes and timbrels built into him. Music came out of his body. Satan is so desperate for worship. No wonder why he said, when you hear the sound of the pipes and the harps and the dulcimers and so on, you hear it, you fall down of worship. But if not, you'll come under penalty of death. And they said, well, our God will deliver us. And if not, we're not bowing down and worshiping. And in they went. But you know what? God went in with them. And they came out. They didn't even smell like smoke. And God will glorify them. God will. God honors you when you say no to Satan. When you go, I don't care how bad. Watch those two videos I told you about. Um, finally, I want to leave you with something. Well, before I do, I just want to say one thing. How we say that? Think about King Saul. He had a son named Jonathan. And the Latin, they all died. Saul and all of his sons died. And there was one last living heir, Mephibosheth. He was a slob. He didn't shave. He was dirty. He was barefoot. And yet David kept his covenant with Jonathan and said, I'll take care of your heirs. If you should die, then I'm going to make a covenant with you and take care of him. And when Absalom, David's son, usurped his throne. And after that was over with and Absalom died and David was on his way back to his palace. Mephibosheth met him filthy and dirty and even said behind his back. And it was told to David, now I'm going to take over my father's throne. And that guy thought he was going to take over the Davidic throne. Look at David. He had Absalom, the usurper, and Adonijah, his raper son. Look at Solomon. He had Rehoboam, who was evil to all the people. Look at Hezekiah. He had Manasseh. Look at Josiah. had Amon. Manasseh and Amon were two of the most wicked kings in the, in the book of Kings. See, they were raised under their under their king fathers. They weren't just some guy out there like, yeah, I kind of like that guy. He's really somebody who could fit the, fit the bill for the throne. These were raised in palaces. They were given everything. They ate the finest food. They wore the best clothes. They were hailed by everybody that knew them. Oh, that's the king's son. They got probably the most, I mean, they had the finest of everything. They were princes that became kings. And being raised by godly kings, good men. Look at how wicked they were. And how much more does it is it more sinful for us that the king of kings and the Lord of lords who died for us, none of them died for their sons. 
but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords died for us and died. So, and calls himself the Prince of the Kings of the earth, which are us. And we're, we are children in his house and we are and should be paying attention to what manner of spirit we are of and to be, and to let every, so that when people see us, they're say there's something noble about that person. They stand upright in this world. They're humble, but they're powerful. There's something strong. Somebody wrote me an email and I'm going to read this to you. Asias. Well, I'm just going to read it. I cut out the parts where, Dear Joan, and so on. She said, indeed, we are but blades of, of grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our lives brief as a book cover. On the last page of the last book of his Narnia tales, C.S. Lewis, just when the reader thinks the story is over because the world has ended, C.S. Lewis pulls back the curtain even farther as he writes of the four children. Quote, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Meanwhile, we travel through these tunnels lit with epiphanies along the way. Reminders of who we are and why we're here. Little signposts pointing to purpose and keep it, keeping us on track toward our divine destiny. For as Wordsworth put it, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. And all who've come before us, trailing clouds of glory, lit our way. All the poets and prophets and saints, the risen Christ and all of creation, displaying his glory, the children of God who went out in a blaze, but passed the torch along, which is what you are even doing now, passing along the torch to all your friends in this little green pasture. <laughs> Thank you for your faithful service, even in the midst of your suffering. And when you share your heart as you have here, you are sharing Christ Jesus. People need to be reminded that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, bruised and broken, just like we are, with us until we turn the book cover over and begin the first chapter of our forever together lives. You know, I'm just a little blade of grass, but so are you. And make sure that what you're passing on is a fiery torch to other little kings and priests coming up behind you. And you prepare their way and you tell them that Jesus Christ purchased them with his, their, his blood and washed them from their sins and has made them kings and priests unto the Father in his glory. What manner of kings and priests are you to be? If you don't pay attention now and understand that what is coming is far greater than just entering into heaven, but something God has planned 
before the foundation of the world, kings and priests, kings and priests, unto our God in glory.